I'm Kate Ferdinand and my blended journey began when I met my husband Rio in 2017. Before I knew it, I was a stepmom to three children that had lost a parent, which came with its own unique set of challenges. That's where this podcast comes in. Every week I chat to experts, everyday people and people in the public eye about their families that are bound by love no matter what the circumstances. Whether that's through divorce, death or whatever it may be, come and join the blended family. Oh, hello there. It's Anna Richardson here and you're listening to It Can't Just Be Me. Now, I think today's dilemma is one that will resonate with many, many people. It's all about how best to support a partner struggling with their mental health. Now, of course, navigating these issues comes as part and parcel of being in a relationship, but it can be difficult to know what to do when the person you love most is struggling and also how best to take care of yourself in the process. We'll be talking about topics around depression, eating disorders and suicide. So do bear that in mind when you're deciding how and when to listen. As always, you'll find some useful resources in the show notes. Now, without further ado, let's dive right in. Welcome to It Can't Just Be Me. Hi, Anna. Hey Anna. Hi Anna. Hey Anna. Hi Anna. Hi Anna. Hi Anna. It can't just be me who's really struggling with staying faithful. I definitely got menopause brain. I really want children and he doesn't. I have feelings of jealousy. It's just all around the middle. I feel like a Teletubby. And then I hated myself for feeling that way. If you've got any advice. I would really appreciate any advice. It can't just be me. It can't just be me, right? My guest today is the gorgeous Ivana Lynch. Ivana shot to fame at just 14 years old when she was cast as Luna Lovegood in the iconic Harry Potter film series. But Ivana's life is so much more than just Luna Lovegood. She's played a broad range of fascinating and intriguing roles on stage, on screen, and as a voiceover artist. She's also talked with stunning honesty about some of the struggles she's faced in her own life and brought comfort to a lot of people along the way. In 2021, she penned her first book, The Opposite of Butterfly Hunting, which is a spellbinding memoir charting her journey from girlhood to womanhood and her battle with anorexia along the way. I can already tell she's going to blow us all away. And here she is, Ivana Lynch. Ivana Lynch, I'm very excited to have you here today because you are one of those people that I have quite literally watched growing up in front of me because you played Luna Lovegood in Harry Potter at just 14 years old. And here you are, a fully grown, brilliant (laughs) woman in front of my very eyes. Welcome. Thank you. I'm... Anna, I don't know if you know I'm like I, how excited I am to be here because I just love your show. I love Naked Attraction so much. It's so weird. That's very kind of you to say. Thank oh, you. and I just always find you're so you've such a beautiful balance of like kindness and humor. And then taking like, the piss. Yeah, exactly. You're truthful, <laughs> but kind. Thank you. That's a very difficult balance to to have. And so when you reach out to me, I was like, I just want to be in a room That's with you really and your energy. Kind of you. So thank yes. you, thank you, thank thank you. <laughs> now then, it's not all about me, tragically. Uh, we've got a really interesting dilemma to delve into today. But before we get stuck in, every week I ask my guests to bring in their very own it can't just be me dilemma. So what have you got for us, Lynch? Yeah, okay. It can't just be me who projects 
deep emotions onto animals. And it really does stress me out because like everywhere I go, there's little animals. And I just, I just feel like all the time they're wondering what, what is the point of their life? Why are they here? Oh, Because we're all rushing around. We all have objectives. Whereas like, I have to leave my cat for like hours a day. And I feel like I always leave a bit myself with her and always thinking, what's she feeling? What, oh, does she know I'm coming back? You can't text them. And it is become such, it's actually a problem in my relationship because- Is it? Yeah, because my boyfriend doesn't feel that way. He sees animals as like different. And I know they're different to, to people. I know they don't have this existential despair well, they might. thing. <laughs> they might though, they might. So he's a gardener. So he is really interested in like ponds, little creatures. He got a little pond in the garden. He put fish in it. And I could never stop thinking of the fish because I felt so sad that this fish wasn't free in a big lake. Yeah, I felt really conflicted about it. It got to a point where like, anytime we'd have an argument, I'd say something about the fish and he'd be like, are you still thinking about the fish? <laughs> and I'd just be like, I never stop thinking about the fish. And what about the cat? <laughs> it's not just the fish. Think about the cat. Yeah. What? No, I hear you on this because I have a rescue dog yeah. and I've always had rescue animals. And so for me, you know, I have that entire thing about, is she okay? Mm. Is she traumatised? I can't leave her on her own. Yeah. She has to be, she has to sleep with me. She has to eat with me. She has to do everything with me. So I get it. Yeah. But I've got to say that it really isn't just you. I think there's there's <laughs> lovely, kind people out there that also really worry yeah. about all of their animals and whether they're having an existential crisis. Yeah. But I am going to have to pull you back into the <laughs> studio today and halt this discussion about fish so we can turn back towards the task at hand because one of our listeners needs some serious help and you have nobly stepped up to the challenge today. Now, fortunately, we do have somebody sensible in the studio to keep us on track with this one. It's the brilliant, lovely, all-round good egg psychotherapist Sam Pennell-Zencolo. Hello. Hello. Pleasure to be here as always. Well, you're a bit of an old hat here now, aren't you? You know your way around the studio as well as I do. But we do keep getting you back for a reason because we all feel in very safe oh, hands. Very kind. <laughs> when you're here. Thank you. Are you ready, girls, ready. for this week's dilemma? Absolutely. Okay. Well, this one was sent into us via email from a listener who didn't want us to share her name, which is fair enough. And by the way, if you want to send in your dilemma via email, that's great. Just email it can't just be me at podimo.com, just like this listener. She wanted to stay anonymous, so we're going to be calling her Anya. And she says, Hi, Anna. I've been with my long-term boyfriend for nine years. We were long distance for five years and now we live together. And I think he struggles with depression. He can go long stretches where he's great and we are the best. But then he has these periods where he seems low and cold and won't speak to me. He won't talk about how he's feeling. He will barely look me in the eye and he won't go to his doctor or seek help. Previously, he's got very low and broken down and acknowledged he's struggling and says he will but he has never followed through. And the more I try and talk to him, the more he pushes me away. When he's good, I never want to talk to him about it because I don't want to remind him in case I bring it on. We've been having such a good time for the last five months, but I can feel him getting low and cold and I don't know what to do. I try to give him space and not take it personally. I keep asking him how he is and he says he's fine, but he feels distant. I also can't help but feel sad and rejected, even though I know it's not to do with me. Although it could be, as he's moved a very long way from home to live with me. What advice do you have to support him? And also, 
how do I deal with it if this is going to be recurring forever? Okay, wow, right? So the first thing that I'm struck by here with this dilemma is just how relatable Mm -hmm. it is. Navigating somebody else's difficulties, their mental health and and their moods, their bad moods, Mm -hmm. is all part of of being in a relationship, you know, whether that's with your partner or even a family member or a friend or whatever, but particularly in an intimate relationship. But Sam, I think it's important to kick off with you first because Mm -hmm. I want to just have an explanation between the difference between depression Mm -hmm. and just feeling a bit low or, you know, a bit of a bad mood. What is the difference? I mean, I would say in terms of clients and how they describe it, people say I feel a bit flat, I feel a bit low, and that typically won't last too long. Mm -hmm. And they find a way out of it and then they've moved to the next stage. People that are chronically depressed will feel like that for long stretches of time. Okay. And things like they won't be able to get out of bed, they won't be able to see friends. It's really chronic and it stretches in all all parts of their life. So, Is it too much to ask you what is going on chemically in the brain here? I mean, there's there's arguments about this because yes, there's ideas about, of course, that they, they look at brain scans and they look at serotonin levels. And we, if we look at antidepressants, they can raise the serotonin levels. But then if you look at exercising, for example, it's shown to prove time is four more effective than certain drugs. Really? Yeah. But it depends what it is, etc. Brain chemistry, we're all different. So if you think about giving one pill to one person and see how it affects them, is it going to affect someone else exactly in the same way? No, not necessarily so. So actually, this is a sort of 360 holistic thing. of There's several things going on with depression. Yes. Okay. All right. Thank you. Um, Ivana, I mean, you were nodding away during this. Mm -hmm. What are your initial thoughts when it comes to this particular dilemma? Well, first of all, I think, so Anya, the listener, I think... You can tell she's someone who just loves him as much as you can unconditionally. I don't know if I fully believe in unconditional love, but like she's really there for the long haul. So I just think that for one thing is is amazing, like to have that from a partner. I really relate to this struggle Do because, you? oh yeah, I feel very lucky in that I started therapy when I was 10. And so I got very used to like feeling a feeling and expressing it. And that's a very healthy way of doing it. And I, I feel like I'm at this stage of my life, I'm just queen of therapy. I have so many, I have like a healer, I have a shaman. I've got a lady who cleanses my room. I just, I'm the person to go to if you want someone. I quite like, literally <laughs> love the fact you've got a lady that cleanses your womb yeah. and you've got a, a shaman as well. I've got a shaman as well. Oh my God, it's the best. Sam, have you got a shaman? I haven't, but you I think need I need one. to get one. Happy to connect you. But this is what I mean. So I, and then I've been in relationships, uh, I'll talk about a particular one, but be vague because I don't want to share the person. Of course. Someone who was struggling with like alcoholism. And I could really see this person as just, you know, so beautiful, had everything going for them. And then they would have this thing that would derail everything. And I was there like, I'll help you. I've got this person and this person. I know people have been through this. I've read all the books on this kind of thing. And this person just wouldn't get help. And they kept doing the same destructive patterns, same cycles. And I think the hardest thing to learn in relationships is that it's like 50-50. A relationship, that person has full agency and autonomy and they can make decisions that can crush you and that's the thing in relationship you just have to surrender and go I can't change this person um and I really 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 tried Mm. (laughs) as in I saw it as to help but this person just wouldn't make the decision and actually it was something my therapist said to me because I was really struggling in that it was affecting my life Mm. because I was so deeply involved and 
I kind of thought I had reached a good point. I said, right, I've given an ultimatum. I've said, if you start drinking again, that's it, that's done. And my therapist said to me, fair enough, but I've talked about this a lot. I won't go into it. But when I was younger, I had an eating disorder. And she said to me, if someone had said to you, if you don't get better, our friendship is ended, would that have helped? And it was such a wake-up call because it was like, oh my God, that would have only added stress to my problem. It would have made me more secretive. It would have made me cut that person off and not be honest. And yeah, it would have made the problem worse. And so I came to a point of going, okay, I... I have to be prepared for the fact that this person might not change and I have to love them unconditionally and also know my own boundaries. And so I guess for you, Ivana, you're so used to therapy, you found Mm. that so helpful and it it healed you in many ways that you're a big advocate of, of being able to go to therapy and expressing how you feel. Absolutely. Whereas I think, so say with the person I was talking about who, who was struggling with alcohol addiction, it just so terrified of speaking like literally there was a big disconnect between their feelings and sharing them so they had developed this pattern of hide it hide it hide it drink and you'll feel better I see yeah and how on earth as a partner did you manage that relationship because that's that's incredibly incredibly difficult to manage and it sounds it sounds a bit like you love this this person so much you wanted to help you're also trying to rescue him Mm. but how did you manage that it was it was very hard because I didn't understand it. I'd not really been around it, and I did on a, on, a, on on some level. But it it came to a point where it was affecting my life and mental health so much because things like they'd call me at four in the morning drunk and I wouldn't get a good night's sleep. I started lending money because I felt so bad for them, and then I I guess I just slowly built up boundaries to go. You cannot call me at this time. I'm never lending you money, even for. 50p for the bus or whatever it is boundaries boundaries things that it was it was and this is why I relate to Anya it's like how much can you take I think you have to really really understand that because otherwise they're not going to protect you in that Mm. way um, well, they can't protect themselves, can yeah. they? So that if they can't protect themselves, they're never going to be able to respect your boundaries either. Yeah. And it got to a point, I suppose, where the only person you can be responsible for is you. Your first loyalty is to yourself. And there's a phrase, and it, it actually really helps me. Uh, you change people by your example, not your opinion. And it's something I, I really live by now. That, well, that's a great phrase, actually. Know, yeah. So, But, you know, you're quite right to say that ultimately you are, only you have the agency and only you mm. are able to change but let's just let's turn this on its mm. head because so far we've looked at this dilemma from Anya's perspective of how does she support you know a, a very unwell mm-hmm. depressed partner but there's another side to this which is the perspective from Anya's boyfriend have either of you two struggled with your mental health whilst in a relationship with somebody to be honest, that relationship that I talked about, that was the first one where I wasn't, this is not the right term, but quote unquote, the crazy one. I remember kind of going like, wait, this is all wrong. I'm supposed to be the mess. Um, oh, but that's interesting in itself. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much every other relationship. And But the, I, do you know what was weird? It's, and it's, it's strange to confess this, but like I wasn't in love with those ones. There's something about um, being, I don't know what it is, but being with people who are, more vulnerable has made me grow up and like and I think that's something I have to watch like my current boyfriend um 
I shouldn't say current boyfriend, my boyfriend. <laughs> my boyfriend the other day said um, to me, he was like, do you realize in the past, he got annoyed at me because he goes, you asked me in the past hour, am I okay five times? Mm. And it was because he was in a mood and I kept going, are you okay? Are you okay? And I wasn't asking him, was he okay? I was more asking, am I okay? Because your mood is making me not okay. So I have to be careful with coming back to me, not mm. taking on your feelings, not putting mine onto you, just mm. like staying, staying solid in myself and letting somebody else have their moods, whatever it is. I think that is so important and so relevant. But again, I'm just going to ask Sam whether she's ever mm. been the low one, the depressed one or the anxious one within any relationship. So in other, in other words, your other halves had to deal with mm. your Yeah, with your definitely. Moods. I think there's been moments where I've been flat, where I've been low, where I've been you know, going through something, but I've always had the support. So I've known where to go and I know they can't essentially do anything. Mm. I have to do the work and I know how to do that because of what I do, I suppose. So I have my own therapist. I have my own ways. I know what works for me. So But when that's did what I've you realise that that's what you needed to do? Because when you were younger, you wouldn't have known no. that. No. I don't know. I think it was when I was much younger. So let's say in my early teens, late teens, university, I realised things like, and it wasn't, it wasn't sort of conscious, but I thought I would train a lot, I would exercise a lot, or I'd swim a lot, and it just made me feel better. And it sounds so basic, but that's just what I'd go and do. Me and the gym, or me and swimming, or me and seeing a friend, and it just made me feel better. So, so instinctively, yeah. you just knew yes. what to do. So I'm not going to take this out on other people. I need to do something, whatever it is, exercise, seeing friends, whatever, that yeah. makes me feel better. So you, so you, you were accountable. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. Don't you find as well, like, if you were with somebody... Like if you're with a partner, you just want them to accept you and love yeah. you how you are. I think if, you know, to have somebody who's who's getting too involved in your mental health and yeah. making lists of how to help you, that to me, that would make me feel suffocated. Mm -hmm. And I have to remind yeah. myself of that with, with relationships too, because it goes the other way. It is difficult though, isn't it? I mean, I'm thinking about, I've definitely been through some periods in, in my longest relationship where I was struggling a lot with anxiety and low mood and it must have been an absolute nightmare for him because you know there's nothing the partner can do mm -hmm. when you when you're in that space of depression and anxiety there's nothing really that your boyfriend can do do you feel like it's not for a partner to to get involved in that or did you want him to be more that's a really good question. I think I wanted him and and now with my partner I think I want somebody who is rock solid, who is there for me, who isn't going to fix me because that's my responsibility, mm. but who who I just know is reliable and kind and loving and isn't going to leave. Mm -hmm. Maybe ah, that's part of the wow. Maybe that's part of it. I don't I yeah. don't know. I don't know. That's really interesting. I want to go back to you, Ivana, because, and also Anya, because she's saying that when her boyfriend is feeling better, he's great. Yeah. And that they're mm -hmm. the best. I mean, I can really identify mm -hmm. with this. But it sounds to me as though the threat of his low mood is making her really anxious. And you picked up on this, Savannah, mm -hmm. earlier on, where you were saying, I'm double checking with my boyfriend all, mm -hmm. all the time. Are you okay? Are mm -hmm. you okay? So I'm wondering at what point this becomes quite toxic. Mm. What do you think? I think we have to be really mindful of where we are, mm -hmm. what we need and where our own line is. Because it's very easy to fall into this trap of trying to help people, yeah. do things for people, fix people at, at the cost of the self. And once that starts happening, you start to feel eroded and underconfident. And that is not 
not healthy. So it's very much, as Ivana said, that looking inwards, is this good for me? And I would say, always put your own mask on first. Mm. Always. Can you fill us in a little bit with the concept of codependence? Because I'm just wondering when I listen to Anya and, mm-hmm. and read her dilemma, whether there's a little bit of codependent behaviour going on here and whether that might touch with Ivana and myself as well. Is that fair to say? Well, yeah, I suppose sometimes we become the saviour. We become the fixer. Mm. That becomes part of our identity. I'm here and I'm going to help him or her. I'm going to do this. And that becomes part of our identity. It's quite, it's quite unhealthy. Yeah. Again, how much can we actually help somebody else? They have agency. They have autonomy. We can support. That's a different thing. But if we feel like suddenly I'm here to save you, to fix you, yeah. we've already gone over the line. Especially with like a partner relationship that's dangerous when it becomes this like carer, mothering relationship. Mm. Like I th- think that's quite bad for the chemistry I mean it's it's I, I struggle so much with the boundary between like compassion mm-hmm. love and then over I don't know what it is yeah uh, codependency it's like and I have to do exercises to kind of just um like if, if if I was in an annual situation and I have been with a very moody partner and going it's ruined my day and I was having a good day but your mood mm. being around you it's like I absorb it I have to do things like in that situation, go for a walk, go read a book. And it's so hard because you're so involved with your partner that you just want to sit there and have a big therapy session with them and help them. But I I just think that's, for me personally, that has always been bad. And I have to go away, let them be, let them be sad, let them be depressed and know that when they're ready, they will come to me and just look after my own energy. That can be difficult to it's learn. It's very difficult. As Yeah, we absorb other people's energy. So if you're in a good mood, you go home, how was your day? And you're met with flatness, what's going to happen? You're going to be flat. Yeah. That's so interesting. So just from a, a practical point of view for Anya, mm-hmm. should she be addressing this issue with her partner when he's in a more positive headspace? That's a difficult one because I would say to have a conversation and say, you let me know when you'd like to talk about it. So it takes, again, why is the responsibility on Anya? Mm. The responsibility yeah. isn't hers. Give it, give them the agency that they need. So when you want to talk about it, I am here and leave them with that. Okay. Can I ask you, like, what is the best way to get someone to therapy? Because you must have so many people who you're, you are feeling that, <laughs> I just want to help yeah. you. <laughs> I mean, it's such a hard question. As you yeah. said, it's when they're ready. You can't force them. There have been people that have tried, that have gone, okay, my work's forced me to be here. (laughs) Um, And we say, well, let's try and make the best of it. And they have to want to be there on some level. There isn't a way of forcing them, pushing it. And then the work, you know, nothing comes out of the work. Really? So not really, if they don't want to be there, it, you know... If they're not invested in it, then what's the point? There's no, you know, so I think it, it, we can't, we can't force people. We have to let them do it when they're ready. So so they're the only clients you can't help? Well, if they don't want to be there, it's it's hard work. Yeah, it's fruitless. Yeah, it's fruitless. You see, I, I love this. I'm fascinated by this. I think so often, and particularly as women, mm-hmm. we end up in a parenting role, yeah. don't oh, yeah. we, with our partner. <laughs> yeah. Does this sound familiar, Ivana? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Why yeah. do we do that, Sam? I'd say it's conditioning. Again, it's socialisation. It's what wow. we've seen. This is socialisation because having emotions is seen as feminine and mm-hmm. is seen as less desirable in men. Very true. If right. you look about the, if you look at alpha males, if you look at nature, what is it that women? If you look at the animal kingdom, what are we attracted to? 
What is it? And so again, it's everything that we've been bred to believe that it goes against the grain. So it is very hard, I think. It's hard for men to then come and be sort of this metro man that talks about his feelings, but also can fix a car, but also is an Mm -hmm. alpha. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult. So, yeah. Can I just say, though, I love a man that can cry. Any men listening to this, like, women (laughs) love vulnerability. I love that. I think someone who can be open and honest. And my boyfriend cries and I love it. Oh, I love him. But what what makes him go? What tears him up? Family stuff. Yeah. Uh, Like, uh, if he ever sees, like, or uh, old people who are lonely, that kind of thing, he he gets really involved. Yeah, he cries all the time. Not all the time. Sorry, I make him sound like he's falling apart. But but he's just very, there's no judgment around it. And I find it. He's got emotional intelligence, clearly. Yeah, yeah. So I, I just, I guess I just wanted to say that out loud to men, any men listening that, like, People appreciate it. And if they don't, they're not really worthy of you. They're not there for your full self, I think. And do you like, I mean, do, or do you have a... a- I, I love, if, if we're going to talk sort of genders, then absolutely I have always been involved with mainly guys who are very emotionally intelligent. Really? Okay. And, you know, have very good relationships with their mothers and their parents. Um, and they're very in tune with their emotions. And, yeah, I like that because clearly you know, we're doing this podcast. I like to talk. I like to talk about emotions. Mm. I like to understand how I feel and how somebody else feels. Mm. And I want to fix it. Mm. So, you know, you have to have a guy that is open to that. Otherwise, where are you going yeah. with mm-hmm. your relationship? Yeah. So I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm with you, Ivana. I, I like a guy that, that gets it. And yeah. wants to talk about mm. emotions. Otherwise, it's like a bit too one-sided, isn't mm. it? It's the relationship. I like that. Because I believe, you know, everyone has feminine and masculine energy and different that we can bring at different sides of each other. Mm-hmm. And if somebody is just all macho, all masculine, like I don't get to embrace my masculine side, mm-hmm. you know, the caretaker. And I think that's a very, very, things. a very good point that we're so polarized, aren't we, with mm-hmm. our genders? And actually, we, we do need to be encouraging both sides of that masculine and feminine within yeah. ourselves. Yeah. Now then, I really do think that that Anya's problem is something that's going to be relevant to pretty much anybody mm-hmm. who's in a relationship. I want to give some solid advice mm-hmm. to her. So at the end of, of her email, she says, what advice do you have for me to support him? Sam, I'm going to come to you here first. What should Anya be doing to support her boyfriend if it looks like he's about to go into a very low period? I mean, firstly, I would say she absolutely has to support herself first. So she needs to be in a place where she's able to manage that stress because it's very stressful dealing with a partner that's going through mental health issues. Then again, they could have conversations if he's open to therapy, to what works for him. But again, when people dip, it's what they say when they're in a good place is different to what they might do when they're in a difficult place. So I would say the key message is keeping herself in a place where she can manage that, where she knows I will be okay with this. I will be okay, manage myself, be there to support. There's a very big difference. I can be there, I'm here, but you have to be strong in oneself, which is very difficult. That would be my main, I mean, I know it's, probably not what people want to hear but that's what works actually well and this is such a difficult question she also asks how do I deal with it if this is going to be recurring forever Mm. my feeling with Annie is that like she's sort of stuck in a rut okay like and I would say 
Anya, you've you've been in a relationship for nine years. You've tried everything with the boyfriend. You've tried to give him all the links, all the resources, all the help, and that hasn't worked. So I wonder if she were to change something in her behavior, would it actually wake him up maybe? Would it give him the wake-up call? Like if when he's in, and, and this is actually because this has worked for me in relationships, if he's in one of those moods, if he's in a depression, rather than being with him on the couch, sinking to that place with him, what if she does goes, hey, I'm going to go out for a run or I'm going to a movie. And that's very hard when you, you're kind of leaving your partner in a dark place. But the current way is not working mm-hmm. of trying to get him to change, trying to force him. So what if she's going out doing things she loves and protecting her energy, not sinking into that place mm-hmm. with him? Maybe he'll start to go, damn, this person might leave me. I actually have to address this. Mm -hmm. I think he needs a wake-up call Mm -hmm. and I don't think it's working the way she's currently doing. So uh, yeah, personally, I would change those moments, deliberately change the energy, change her behavior, which will be hard, but she can do it. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, do things that will focus, as you said, Sam, and like everything you have said is just affirmed to me that you can't change your person, but you can change how you react to things Mm -hmm. and how she manages her space and her health. And the more she gets back into her space, back into her body, not taking on his stuff. I just think the stronger she'll be and it might inspire him. So this is a very difficult question off the back of that. Is it okay to leave somebody because of their mental health? Well, I suppose if you think about any relationship, people leave people for a number of reasons Mm. because they don't love them anymore, because they irritate them, because they've had enough of them. Terms and conditions absolutely apply. And that is not, you know, no one wants to hear that. That's not what we've been sold. It's not what we've been So you're saying T's and C's apply. Mm. Of course they do. Absolutely. That's tough to hear, isn't it? Yeah, it it is, but I like it. It, It's it's harsh truth. It is truth. One thing, like, I'd, I'd love to ask you, like, Sam, is if somebody is in such a bad way that they're, like threatening to hurt themselves mm-hmm. if you leave them. Mm-hmm. How the hell do you handle that? Like, is it, and it's hurting you to be with them. Like, do you do you make sure they have a support system mm-hmm. and then leave? Or, mm-hmm. I mean, you could be ruthless and leave and it's still not, it's not your responsibility, mm-hmm. but that's hard when you that's care about them. Very hard. I mean, I would put support systems in place and there's only so much you can do. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at mental health workers, psychologists, psychotherapists, it's very interesting if someone comes to me and says, I'm thinking about killing myself. I'm under no, again, I I have to say uh, ethically, where am I with that? Mm -hmm. Okay, how much do I believe that they're actually going to do this? Is this an empty threat? Okay, let's talk about this. In terms of a partner, it's very difficult because they would have to have their own support system in place and they would not necessarily have to, but if they feel comfortable, try and put as many things in place to support that person. Would you suggest, for example, an intervention of, look, I've called your family and, you know, Uh, and I'm Family, friends, mental health workers, if they've gone to therapy before, their therapist, all of those things, depending on what they're going through, rehab, but the client has to agree to that. The person has to agree. Which brings me to my final question, really. What should Anya's boyfriend be doing for himself because so far we've really focused on what can Anya do mm-hmm. what can he do I mean again this is a really tough one when people are depressed they don't see it as a choice it's not like they want to be like that but seek they have to be at a point where they can either if they think they need medication they could go to the doctors if they think they need therapy they go they need to do the work that's the only thing that that will work in the end but 
it's difficult when we feel that low to mm. do that. It's so, so hard. But most people I've worked with, they just get to a point where they just get fed up of feeling fed up. So they do something. If you can do anything, if you can walk outside, if you can get to your GB, if you can go and see a friend, anything is better than doing nothing. Anything. That's such sound advice, isn't it? Yeah. Anything yeah. is better than nothing. And actually, I love the fact that you're talking about do the work. You have to do the work. I think often, and you you must see this as well, Sam, that, and I've certainly got friends in this situation where they've had a lot of therapy, but nothing seems to be changing. <laughs> um, so what do we say about that? That I mean, that really you have to do the work. Yeah. You've, you've got to face mm-hmm. yourself and you've got to make some changes. Is, is that right? You have to, you have to take action. So I always say to all my clients, it's great that we're in this space, we can talk, but I'm a massive, massive believer. You have to do something. You have to activate the choices that you've made and do something or nothing will change. What about, say, you know, there are people with the victim complex. Mm -hmm. There are some people, and I don't know if this is Annie's boyfriend, but there are a lot of people who they get depressed and yes, they are in pain, but there's something in them that likes the identity of victim. Mm-hmm. And my therapist has told me about this of how like there are some people who just keep coming and they don't want to do the work. They want to have the pity and they want to see themselves as a victim. Oh, mm. I, I wouldn't like what do you do as, as a therapist? I mean, that's you... actually a psychological, I suppose, space that we call it a secondary gain. So what's the secondary gain of you being like this? You get a lot of attention. You get people to care about you. You get to talk about it. So I'll say to clients, do you actually want to change? And a lot of them say, no. Wow, they're that honest. Yeah, they say, actually, if I could wave a magic wand and say it's gone now, you've got OCD, you've got ADHD, whatever it is, if I could wave it and it's gone, would you want that? They say no. Because they don't know a world without it. It's very, it's very confronting to think, okay, this is what I've been living with. Suddenly it's gone, who am I without this thing? So it's like their structure that yeah, they exactly. can't live without. Exactly. Interesting. Well, it's, it's how's that behaviour serving you? Yeah. Yeah. Even though it's a really negative behaviour and it's driving everybody away, mm-hmm. how's it serving you? I think, you know, as Sam says, well, it gets you attention. It's who you are. Mm. And that, that could be very difficult, can't mm. it, to change? Because we identify with that. That becomes part of who we are, our narrative. And if we take that narrative away, what are we left with? We have to have something else to replace it. Yeah. So the work has to be done. If this is gone, what does it look like? And we start to rebuild and scaffold your life like that. But it is, you know, if we've had something, if someone says, I've been suffering with anxiousness for 20 years, take that away. Where they go, mm. it's quite frightening, mm. actually, even though it's negative. But mm. our brains are primed. Two thirds of our thoughts, our brains, we're primed for the negative. It's only one third that's primed for sort of positivity. Right. So we really have to work hard against it mm. all the time. Anya, if you're listening, thank you for sending in your dilemma. I have to say that you sound like a really supportive, brilliant girlfriend. And to be honest, I think your boyfriend is is very, very lucky to have you there by his side. So I hope that today's conversation was helpful to you in some way. And we'd really love it as a team if you kept in touch with us and you let us know how it's going on. And of course, thank you to the two gorgeous women sitting across from me. The empathy and the wisdom that you've both brought to today's conversation has been really invaluable. So I've learned a lot today. So thank you. Thank you. To you both. Thank you all for opening up. It's just so nice. I love these kind of deep conversations. Yeah, I could do it all day. I think they're, they're important. They're important to have. 
we do have a little bit more work to do before I can release you uh, from your pen because I've got a couple of quick-fire questions that I want to launch at you. Is that okay great. with you both? Mm-hmm. Yeah, bring it on. All right, all right. The first one is from Stephen, and he's from Glasgow. Hi, Anna. It can't just be me who really struggles navigating my desire to stay in and my partner wanting to go out all the time. They're an extrovert and I'm an introvert, and I want to know how we balance our needs in a way that makes us both happy. Ooh. Crikey, Ivana. Gosh, I don't know if I could be with an extrovert for this reason. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah um, I don't think I could live with them. I don't think so, no. Because I really, when I go home, I'm like, this is where I recharge. I actually fell out with a roommate over that particular situation because he just thought I was so boring. And he just, <laughs> he, like, we got on so well as friends. But then when I moved in, he just wanted to go out every evening. And I was like, this is incredibly stressful. So I don't know, with a relationship, I'd probably be like, you have to work out a compromise. Like, maybe is there two evenings a week where it's like, that's it, you're going out. And they have to respect that you need your space to recharge. But yeah, that's a hard one. I mean, Sam, you were talking about the T's and C's of Mm. relationships. Is this a T's and C's moment? This is something that couples talk about a lot, actually. Is it? It is, yeah. They come in and say, one wants to go out, the other one doesn't. And you're so right. It's the idea of the compromise. Okay, let's look at the week. Let's structure it. Let's have a conversation. But I think it's just a negotiation and deciding what works for the both of you. And speaking as an introvert, I would say to them it's very important for us to be prepared for like going out Mm -hmm. like if if I have to mentally psych myself up but if he says on Thursday we're going out I'll I'll get there you know but if they spring it on you absolutely Mm, not not panic so I think yes just speaking as an introvert I think that's important to communicate Mm. that needs to be and just in terms of these terms these labels of introvert and extrovert Mm. what exactly do they mean Sam because I know you're not a fan of labels well it's always that the extrovert is meant to be positive and out there and fun loving (laughs) and then the introvert is boring and at home never going out I mean it's that kind of thing that that's what people think it isn't that it's just again those labels are so reductive Mm. That and when we don't fall into two labels mm. either, mm. so I suppose it's this idea of like looking at our partner holistically and saying, well, what does this look like? Sometimes maybe they do want to go out all the time, maybe not other times. Sometimes I'd say strip away the label and and as you said, know your partner and what works for them and yourself. Thank you, you two. Moving on, the next one is from Amy from London. Hello, Anna. I'm 25 and I've got a problem. I'm not sure if I should share it, but I am a virgin and I'm 25 and I'm just not sure if it's normal. All of my friends aren't virgins, so it's quite disheartening to hear that I've been left sort of in the dust and collecting dust by the sounds of it. But yeah, I know that it can't just be me. Um, So yeah, just looking for some advice on that. Thanks, darling. I love Amy. Me too. Amazing energy there. Thank you, Amy. Um, Oh, so Amy's 25 and still a virgin. Ivana, what would you advise? God, I think more power to you, Amy, for knowing. I mean, I don't know the circumstances, but knowing your boundaries, not being peer pressured into it. I was peer pressured into it uh, from the career I chose because I was auditioning for all these parts of sexy 16-year-olds, whatever, which is not me at all. And so I kind of was like, oh, I better get it out of the way, which I did. And I really regret that. I wish I'd slowed down because it was like rushed. It was meaningless. I'll just say to Amy, I don't know a whole lot about sex. I really, it, I still feel like a novice, <laughs> even though I'm in a long-term relationship. But 
what I learned from it is it's so much better when you slow down with everything. So exactly what you're doing, like being sensitive, protecting yourself. I think keep that approach and and you'll find the right person to trust. And even when you get to that point, when you know you want to be with someone that way, slow down every bit. It's just so much better. So I wouldn't I wouldn't feel bad. I would feel proud of that and 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 also feel free to make that choice when it's right. But so many people I know regret just getting it out of the way. I think that's it was such, a wasted moment. That's such perfect advice, Savannah. It really is. Because I think if I look back at my teenage years as well, I think I probably feel the same way, which is like we're just in such a rush yeah. to get it over and done with and then go, yeah, you know, I've 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 had sex for the first time and it's it's done. But you're right. I mean, Amy, yeah, reclaim this and yeah. more power to you. And just your body knows. Yeah, body knows. And actually, it's not a it's not a competition. It's not it's not a race. It's to, you know who can lose their virginity the first and mm-hmm. have the most sex. You just wait, girl. And and do you know what? The greatest advice that I can give you is wait for the right person mm-hmm. to do it with. If that's one thing that I could say, is don't rush it and make sure that he or she deserves you. What would you say, Sam? I mean, I think you've said it all, both of you. I think wait till you're comfortable. There's a reason. And even that, again, I don't like the word normal. What is normal? Culturally, you know, in society, we've learned that, okay, this is just what we do. Is it though? In some cultures, they don't do this. In some religions, they don't do this. And that's normal. So I'd say go with your gut and do what feels comfortable for you. Yeah. Ivana, it has been a joy. It's been a delight. It's been a total pleasure to have you join us on It Can't Just Be Me. Thank you so much for being so open. Thank you for your wisdom and your empathy and your care as well with today's dilemma. Thank you for having me and for creating this space. I just think it's so important what you're doing, like to normalize these conversations. And as you say, I have that thought many times a day. It must just be me. So listening to this podcast really... It isn't. It isn't. And of course, thank you too to Super Sam for joining us from the London practice and sharing your professional expertise. It is just so lovely to have you with us always, Sam. And I I hang on your every word. Oh, you're so kind. And I'm secretly stalking you because I want you to be my therapist. (laughs) So until next week, my lovely listeners, when I'll be back with another episode of It Can't Just Be Me. In the meantime, please keep leaving your dilemmas at itcantjustbeme.co.uk or email them to me at itcantjustbeme at podomo.com. Whatever you're dealing with, whether it's love, sex, friendship, trouble or anything in between, I want to hear from you. Nothing is off limits, you know that. And remember, whatever you're dealing with, it really isn't just you. From Podimo and Mags, this has been It Can't Just Be Me, hosted by me, Anna Richardson. The producer is Alice Homewood, with support from Laura Williams. The executive producer for Mags Creative is James Norman Fife. The executive producers for Podimo are Jake Chudno and Matt White. Don't forget to follow the show, or for early access to episodes and to listen ad-free, subscribe to Podimo UK on Apple Podcasts.